You are listening to the Sermon Podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. We are a congregation of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, located in Denver, Colorado. And you can find out more about us at houseforall.org. Tracy, Becky, and Leslie, you all need to tell me if I need to slow down. Pastor Wiley broke the rule. Remember, Marta, Wiley should not have a Celsius before preaching. <laughs> the collective groan. Tell me to slow down. I will try. Grace, peace, and mercy are yours from the triune God. Amen. By what authority do you do these things? In my experience, this question is usually asked of those who do things outside the norm, outside the status quo, outside the proper order and structure. When face-to-face with some evangelicals and their weaponized theology, my education, my endorsement and approval from the church institution, my ordination is questioned. By what authority are you ordained as this pastor You are queer, after all, non-binary, mess up, F up, tattoos, all those are kind of cool now in the evangelical world, and are not a perfect person. We have constructed to be a proper pastor. And I've heard from many of you that you have been asked this question before, and it usually relates to others' preconceived ideas of who can and who cannot do or speak to a particular thing. By what authority do you do these things? You are just a woman, after all. But you're not mentally stable. You are just confused about your gender and or sexuality. But you don't have a master's degree or higher. But you are poor. But you are a person of color or have an ambiguous ethnicity that confuses me and doesn't help me put you into a box I have constructed. This question dominates the first part of the parable. By what authority do you do these things? Jesus knows the Pharisees and respects their adherence to the law. Although they are godly men, Jesus does not shy away from pointing out their human tendencies to gatekeep what God says, thinks, or does. So the Pharisees are caught up in their own question. Because as men of God, they are pretty convinced that this John is someone not of this world and who surely must be of the Spirit and have authority from God. Yet it baffles them that God would endow authority to someone outside of the Pharisees, outside of the specially ordained decades of spiritual literacy of class and reputation. Of course, John has the authority But in the eyes of the human Pharisees, in my eyes at times as a pastor, he cannot possibly have such authority. But then Jesus takes it a step further. Having authority is one thing, the first step, but the second is more, more, much more important. Speaking and acting with such authority is a more costly discipleship. In that second part of the parable, both sons have authority. One commits to using the authority, but ultimately does not. The other does not want to use it, but later, maybe through a lightning bolt on the ass or still a calm voice in the ear, says, sure, sure, I will go. The Pharisees are technically right in answering 
that the one who did not initially go, but then ultimately did, is the one who did the will of the Father, used the authority he was given. But having authority is one thing. Acting and speaking out of authority is another, especially when it makes those with authority and not authority alike question the very nature of authority. Val and I communed this week over Zoom and looked over this text, and I asked her a very simple question. Has this ever happened to you? Have you ever acted or spoken in authority that was outside yourself? Val is going to share her story now. This is this beautiful thing we were practicing with our lay preachers in Dr. Hannon's class called collaborative preaching. So in me, instead of telling Val's story, Val will tell her story. in Arvada, and um, for who knows what reason, the Westboro Baptists were going to picket our church on Easter Sunday. They don't ever surprise you. They never just show up. They always call the police for their own protection, of course. So we knew they were coming. And um, we were all, you know, properly horrified, but prepared. And when I went to bed that night, I was, you know, thinking about it, and um, I woke up with, uh, you know, like in The Godfather when they talk about the lightning bolt? It was, it was like a lightning bolt in my head, and I knew that when they were there, that I was to go up to them and say, um, there's a room for you at the table if you will join us. And every day I woke up knowing that that's what I had to do. And so I um, talked to, the next time I was at church, I talked to um, Lou Blanchard, the, the priest, and I said, this is what I have to do. And she said, well, you can't do that. <laughs> you can't say anything that invites them onto the property because they didn't come onto the property. They stayed on the sidewalk. They did not step onto our property, and I said, well, you know, like Hebrew National, I answer to a higher authority, and um, I continued to wake up every single day for like three weeks knowing that I had to say these words, there's room for you at the table if you will join us. So Easter Sunday came, and um, like many churches, there was a really like god-awful early service, uh, like six. 30 or 7 or something, and I was there because I was singing in the choir, and we could see when they drove by. Um, they were up at the Arvada Center because, I guess, theater and gays. Amen. And then, and then they went to the Methodist Church up the street. Don't know why. Uh, they went to our church because this was the year that the Episcopal Convention uh, ratified Gene Robinson as the first openly gay bishop in the Episcopal Church. So that's why they came to our church. And um, then the Missouri Synod Lutherans, I was like, you guys are kind of on the same side of a lot of things. So I'm not sure why you're doing that. But anyway, they drove by and my, uh, we were having church, but they were just pointing it out like, this is the third place we're going to go. And they're pointing. And they drove on and my stomach, like I got sick to my stomach. I thought, well, that's my response to evil. I'm going to just go puke on them. Um, so... Um, there was, a, there was a space of time in between services, and that's when they came. 
And so those of us who had stuck around went out to sort of bear witness to the, what they were there to do. And um, thank God for fear because my heart was pounding so hard and the blood was rushing in my ears and I couldn't hear a fucking thing. <laughs> and so we went out and I said, I think I said, there's room for you at the table if you will join us. And I said it again, and that's, I just kept saying it. <laughs> and then I looked at this man, and the blood's still roaring in my ears, and his face is <sighs> he's just screaming at me. And I don't know what he's saying because I can't hear him because the blood is pounding in my ears. And finally, it all kinds of calms down. And he's saying, I wouldn't sit at a table with you, you fat cow. I'd never been called that, so I looked behind me <laughs> to see who he could possibly be talking to. Like, me? Come on. Um, and I just kept saying it. There's room for you at the table if you'll join us. And finally, they got in their cars and they left. Um, so uh, fast forward a few weeks, there was a... This is just like a coda to the story, which I thought was funny. I went down to an action at Focus on the Family, and there was like a whole bunch of us right-minded folks were going to, there were going to be so many of us, we were going to be able to hold hands in a circle around that really huge campus. I don't know if you've been there, but it's huge. We were going to hold hands and somehow convince um, James Dobson to quit his hateful rhetoric because Christian kids were committing or were dying by suicide all the time because of his words. It was a really cold and dreary and awful day, and there were not enough of us, honestly. We did march around it a couple of times, and um, there were stages and people were talking, and of course the Westboro Baptists were there, and they were obeying the rules, and they were sticking to their little spot which was right by the porta potties And I thought that is exactly where they belong, and that's where they stayed. Uh, unfortunately, the news people were only filming them, and they were missing all the really great speakers who were talking about their civil rights work with Dr. King and, and all these really amazing things. But I thought that's where the Westboro Baptists belong, was with the porta potties <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. You answered all the questions. You're good. Thank you. So I learned some things from Val's embodied authority. Number one, we usually don't want to do it, but God will be persistent with us. Number two, it will be affirmed and rejected by others in community, for good or for ill and that we must continue to discern the nature and origin of what we think we need to say or do. And number three, we will feel outside of ourselves in the wrestling with the spirit and in the actual expression of authority. Val said it was blood going to her ears. Perhaps it was God being able to dampen out the voices of hate while she expressed God's liberation and freedom. As some of you may or may not know, LGBTQ plus people like myself have only been able to openly serve in our church for 14 years, since 2009. However, this was not always the case. 
It all started in 1990 when three individuals, Ruth Frost, Phyllis Zilhart, and Jeff Johnson, decided to proclaim and seek freedom from the oppressive hierarchy of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, claiming an authority that was not theirs to claim. Back then, in the early years of the foundation of the ELCA, around like 1985, I don't know, some of y'all know that, openly LGBTQ plus people could not serve in ministry. However, Ruth, Phyllis, and Jeff were called by two rebellious churches in San Francisco, United Lutheran Church and St. Francis Lutheran. As a result, the two congregations were put on trial by the church for ecclesiastical disobedience. The violation was that the two congregations had called unrostered leaders, Ruth, Phyllis, and Jeff. They were not rostered because they were out and unwillingly to take a permanent lifelong vow of celibacy, which was required of queer people at that time. And the quote, <laughs> persons who are homosexual in their self-understanding are required to abstain from homosexual sexual activity. These three individuals, two congregations, knew that they could not get any people with institutional power or authority to support them. There was no one in the ELCA who would side with them. They knew that this was already a done deal. But Ruth, Phyllis, and Jeff were not going to give up that easily. Using the Lutheran confessions, they articulated that in creating exclusive policies, the bishops had abdicated their rights because they refused to abide by the gospel, a gospel of love, of inclusion, of mercy, of freedom. Because the bishop's failure to adhere to the gospel, the congregations claimed this authority and called these three. They eventually did get a bishop's approval, a bishop all the way from Sweden, an ordained Lutheran. You only need a bishop's approval. Jeff told me that you can't act out from the current prescriptions of intolerance, injustice, and oppression. You have to act out from the perspective and authority of the future, from the way things are going. Jeff, a close mentor of mine, says, we are going to claim our power and authority from the future, not oppression and injustice. We are claiming it from the day when those policies and practices are no more. We are going to act as if that reality is here and now. We are ordained in a tradition you are becoming. The verdict of the trial was that both congregations were expelled from the ELCA for violating the church's policies and procedures. They refused to follow hierarchy when it forced them to live inauthentically. In the midst of the church asking Jeff, Phyllis, and Ruth why they claim such power and authority, they borrow their power and authority from the future a future already here and now, the future which freedom is incarnate, Jesus of Nazareth. Merely having the authority is one thing, but acting and speaking on it will not always bring glory and fame, but it is our future, the way of the cross. By what authority do you proclaim and set free? I hear testimonies of you claiming your power and authority 
to act in ways that reflect the love of God as people ahead of one's time. Whether it be breaking barriers in the workplace, caring for family and having a career, being open to moving around the country and the world, daring to live as your authentic selves, committing oneself to justice despite the assurance of failure, taking your own path instead of one that the world wanted you to follow. After a sustained commitment and continuing to to borrow power and authority from the future, both congregations were received back into the ELCA in 2010 after the policies and practices had changed. And here I am today, and I wouldn't be here without the testimonies of Jeff, Ruth, and Phyllis, among countless of others that came after them. Two Sundays ago, Jeff Johnson was voted and accepted the call to be bishop of the Sierra Pacific Synod. We have come a long way. When I spoke with Jeff this past week, the emotions were palatable. It's a great story now, and Jeff laughs right through it, but he laughs with tears in his eyes. Tears, because while it is easier to look back on it, what they went through was painful, and it was hell. The way of the wilderness is not easy, and the resistance to our witness cuts deep. I also hear this pain when I hear your testimonies, the pain of loneliness and isolation, the pain of strained relationships, the pain from the loss of a worldly power and privilege. And Jesus also faced resistance to his witness. But in the questioning of the chief priests and Pilate, Jesus responds with his light. He proclaims that God's freedom is near. Even, those, even though those with power and authority will put him to death through the resurrection, God's future of freedom reigns. If Jesus is the incarnation of freedom, then baptism incarnates God's freedom into our inmost being. Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your creator in heaven. It is in our baptism that we claim power and authority in the midst of this world and society that tries to convince us otherwise. Like Val, Jeff, Ruth, and Phyllis, our freedom cannot help but be proclaimed and free others. This is God's response to, by what authority do you do these things? Even as we wander and wonder who we are, we can shine in the midst of uncertainty shine in the midst of resistance to our witness, shine in the midst of waiting, our hoping and longing for God's reign. With our lights shining, we claim God's power and authority to proclaim and bring about freedom now and all and now. An authority we have been gifted with by God. Are we ready to act and speak with such authority? We have in the past, And we surely can do so again, here and now. God has given you the authority to heal and set free. God has given you the authority to proclaim good news to your coworker and your best enemy. God has given you the authority to turn walls over into tables and share in a meal that tastes of freedom. 
God has given you the authority to weep and lament of all that has been lost in your life and in this world. God has given you the authority to not defend and explain yourself, but simply to be. To be the beautiful child of God, God created you to be without exception. God has given you the authority to pray like hell and tell the devil to go back to hell even while you shake in your shoes. God has given you the authority to dream, to cast visions, to wander and pronounce a hope that we cannot yet see, but with the Spirit's leading, we will one day see. Are you ready? By what authority do you do these things? Only and solely for the glory of God. Now may the God of peace, who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, make you complete in everything good, so that you may do God's will, and Christ works among us that which is pleasing in God's sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. You've been listening to the sermon podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. If you would like to support the ongoing ministry of our church, please visit our website at houseforall.org/giving.